Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today is episode number 107. I'm joined by the usual lineup, the usual suspects, John Doyle and Logan Whitmer, here to tackle some tough woodworking issues. Or not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I want to say that this episode of the Shop Notes podcast is presented by Epilogue Laser. Quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. Why do we always have to tackle the tough woodworking issues? Why can't you throw us a few softballs? Yeah, you know? that'd be nice. Right. Maybe they'll come. Yeah. We'll get started today with a couple of comments from last episode, which uh, had Brent Hall on it. Don says, very interesting, very informative, very educational. Brent was fascinating to listen to. I enjoyed this edition enormously. Thanks. And then Chuck writes, I subscribe to Brent's YouTube channel as well and Woodsmith Magazine TV show. I would love to see a yearly partnership between you two on a raise the bar historic piece. As a hobbyist, cost time is an option for an heirloom piece. Maybe like a 1890s entrance table, a china cabinet, or a bedroom suite for a few ideas. My dyslexia just heard that as a 1980s. There you go. And I just saw so much golden oak flash in front of my eyes. I, I was right. thinking maybe some uh, uh, that printed particle board. <laughs> yes, you sure. Okay. If you can find that. I don't know where mm -hmm. you get that at. But. One of the things that I would like to talk about today is settings in your settings or machines or things you just don't mess with in your woodworking shop. For example, I saw a recent, uh, don't remember where I saw it, a uh, project on, oh, I know where it was because I'm working on that hand plane, mm -hmm. that wood jack plane. And in the photos that go with Popwood's article on it, Dylan uh, is drilling out the waste for the blade and the mouth and whatever. And he's got the drill press table rotated to 45 degrees. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I ain't never touching that on my <laughs> drill press table. Yeah. And you, you might as well just weld it at 90. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And to be fair, and I, I am, I am so bad at this. I just take for granted if in the shop here, if I walk up to the miter saw, it's set at 90 degrees. I, I take right. for granted if I walk up to the drill press, it's at 90 degrees. I take for granted, meaning it is not always. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, yeah. at some point, will figure out during my process that, oh, shoot, that was set at like 83 degrees to make an end for a, a chair leg or something. Yeah. Like, ah. But you're right. There are particular things in your shop that you can do and just don't mess with. And that's one of them. Put a piece of, you know, quarter inch rod in your drill press chuck, grab a, a square, set that thing in 90. And like you said, weld that SOB in place and never move it. Cause I was, uh, so yeah, cause I saw that in that article and then I saw another project probably in one of the other woodworking magazines where the author held tilted their drill press table. And I just, I don't know. That's just like crossing the streams, yeah. man. It just does not, 
Yeah, it seem like it's going to end. I'd well. rather make some sort of ramp or jig or something to yeah to do it at an angle rather than move it out of night out of ninety degrees. But which yeah. would make for an interesting April Fool's joke is to like go and change all the tools' angles by like one or two degrees. <laughs> Nobody would see it coming until they're all done. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which kind of happened a few weeks ago when we were doing our clock episode. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to fit some pieces and Logan, your segment, I think was just before mine and your clock has sides that slope in. They're splayed by like three degrees, three degrees or whatever. (laughs) So you had, so in the main shop, the other table saw and the dado saw were set up for other cuts and had the like, don't move this uh, penalty of losing a limb. Mm Mm-hmm. So we had just one table saw to do these cuts on. And you had used it just before me to cut your pieces to length. Mm-hmm. So it's got the parallel yep. end bevels or miters or however you want to say it. And I just needed to cut something to length. And I think it was, thankfully, it was just like a piece of hardboard or something like that. So I go up, make the cut, flip it around, you know, set up my stop block, make another cut. And then I go walking away. And as I'm walking away, it just... Like something just felt weird about it. Yeah. And, and I look at it yep. and it was off and I was oh, son of a. Well, and that's completely on me. Not like that was, that's what I was going to say in your shop, like in your personal shop, in our personal shops, that's on you. Like you do oh, yeah. that, you do it. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Here where you're trying to work with other people, like I didn't think twice about it because I'm thinking, okay, I need to get back to the set to do whatever we're doing. Yep. And yeah, I should have reset it back to zero. And I'm sure I've done it to other people well, too. And everybody just... does it at some point. It's like you you set up something or you adjust the stop block that somebody actually wasn't done with. You know, it's like, oh man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's also something you said. Like it's it's funny. So over this weekend, um, we were selling some machinery here that we just don't really use anymore, um, which is super cool. We had some people come through that uh, are you know magazine fans, TV show fans and stuff uh, had, had bought a couple of pieces of equipment we had. And everyone's like, oh my god, this huge shop is great. Like, this has to be so nice to work. And it is. But on the flip side, you have so many people in the shop. The machinery gets used so much more than it would like in our personal shops that right. some things start to lose some tolerance because they've been used so much. You know what I mean? They start to get a little play here and there. And Mm -hmm. it's like in my shop, I would not be using it near as much as we do here. So it would stay tight. It would stay tighter for longer. Um, I could calibrate it and I know it's not going to get adjusted for some weird, you know, design that Chris Fitch came up with that we need to (laughs) make all these adjustments to make Mm -hmm. this cut or whatever. Um, So it's an interesting parallelism that's like, yeah, it's nice. But at the same time, it's like you lose a little bit of that control you have in your own shop. And I think with that, the shop guys usually usually lose a little bit of their tolerance as well. <laughs> you know, with us coming in there and screwing around with stuff. I can, I can see your face as I was saying it. It's like John's got It's like a here. slow burn. Just like, <laughs> here it comes. Yeah. But you can't get yeah. out of the way. You nope. know, it's like deer in the headlights. Yep. Yeah. You're stuck. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's uh, – I noticed the same thing. Uh, I was – what was I doing earlier this week? Oh, I was uh, – or it was last week. Or we Tuesday? Yeah. Well, it was last week. I was spraying those uh, stupid wicker chairs my set, my wife said she wanted. And I noticed it in the finish room, too, where it's like, 
if it was if it was somebody's personal gun, like they would clean it a lot better than it gets cleaned here. You know, it's yeah. like oh, it's that spray gun. It's good enough. It might be stained a little little blue the next time somebody uses it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. It's always the next guy's problem. <laughs> yeah. Until it comes, which might come future. Back, self. Yeah, it comes back around and. That's how I, it always works out with the panel sander for me. It's like, oh, that's somebody else's yeah. problem. And then it usually comes back to me. I'm the one changing <laughs> the paper. So. Yep. But, yeah. yeah. I guess another. No, it is. I was going to say an, Go another ahead. thing that uh, you were saying, uh, a setup that you never change is if you have a uh, dovetail jig is just invest in a router that goes yep. with the dovetail jig and it's always set up because you could spend a whole day setting those things up. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the, like one of the main reasons that I just, I just got the stupid things by hand. Mm -hmm. They don't look as, I mean, they don't ever look as clean as a, a jig does and it takes longer. And by the end of the day, I got dovetail back where I'm like hunched over just from <laughs> chopping mm -hmm. waste. I just can't stand setting those stupid things up, but you're right. If you had one, you had it set up, and you just don't leave touch a router it, yeah. with it, perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I think is what we had for the longest time around here when we would do dovetail drawers. It would just be like, don't mess with the jig and don't mess with the router that mm -hmm. goes with the jig. Yep. <clears throat> sure. I was also thinking another one is, there's probably two of them, one related to the drill press because I have a teaching a class for the Des Moines woodworkers and we were talking about drill press speeds and stuff. And a couple of guys were like, I don't know the last time that I changed the speed on my drill press. Yeah. And, and I think it depends on when you bought a drill press and mm -hmm. what kind of drill press it is. Like if you have one like ours in the shop has a lever, mm -hmm. you just pull the lever while it's running and you can yep, it's that go from drive or whatever. Yeah. Which is super handy mm -hmm. because I found that, you know, like Brad point bits, just dial it way up, just mm -hmm. 1500, 2000 RPM, something like that. And it's going to drill a much better hole, even on some Forstner bits, but that can still come to bite you too, because yeah, you know, I know that I had the drill press set up for, I think like 2000 RPM for drilling pilot holes for screws. And then I needed to use the wing cutter for like a three inch hole for that dust collector thing that I was working on. A wing cutter at 2000 RPMs is a totally different animal <laughs> than a wing cutter at 500 RPMs. Uh, yeah. 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 I have, and you only do that. You only do that once. Right. My drill press is the one that you have to change the belts, which isn't that big a deal, yeah. but it's like, I'm just making one, you know, one yeah. cut here with the, the wing cutter. I'm just going to wing it. You know, as they say, and <laughs> see what happens. Don't keep my knuckles well, out of the way. And yeah, and I know that was always something I was like, okay, how much does it really matter? And then when I once I started turning, I'm like, it all has to do with the outside edge speed. It has nothing to do with like the RPM is irrelevant. Basically, it all has to do with how fast the outside edge of that cutter mm -hmm. is moving. So yeah. I, I make a conscious effort now to to correctly set the speed based on the bit size but yeah like in my shop generally um, i have one of our old delta drill presses from the photo studio um she's been right. ridden hard but she still mm -hmm. works good mm -hmm. um i think i have it set at like 1200 rpm and that's like a good like 
covers most of it's not too sketchy in either direction mm-hmm. you know right yeah that's probably not a bad option to do if you're gonna if you have a drill press like that yeah because it's my drill press is the same way i think it's as old as i am and it's not hard to do which is kind of funny to me because as woodworkers we're already taking the next step in terms of building furniture ourselves <laughs> and kind of doing things the hard way but yet we won't take that step to change the belts mm-hmm. on a drill press, which in reality takes what, 15 seconds right. yeah. to do. It's not that hard in the grand scheme of building a project, but yeah. yeah. I, my, my problem I always have, and not so much with this Delta one, uh, I had, before I had the Delta, I had a cheaper drill press. Um, and my problem was always, I never could remember which way the levers went to like oh. move the motors and stuff. So it was always like five minutes of like loosening wing nuts and wing bolts and stuff and jiggling the lever till it finally broke free. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, but of course mine is one that has just two belts. Mm-hmm. I know that there's some drill presses that have a third belt in there, which then turns it into a lot more math than I really want to. Mm-hmm. So with our drill press that we have with the lever and you can change the speed on the fly, do you like look up the bit diameter and what speed it's supposed to be? Or you just kind of like eyeball it and like, eh, that's kind of fast or that's kind of slow. And that's about right. I totally eyeball it. Yep. I, in my opinion, as long as if it's like a Brad point bit, which standard sets of Brad point bits probably go up to half inch, right? Like maybe a little bigger. But I think half inch and down on a Brad point bit, you can go as fast as you want. Right. Like, I don't think you can go too fast with a Brad point bit. And I remember reading somewhere years ago that, you know, Brad point bits were developed for commercial manufacturing mm-hmm. on like line boring tools. Yeah. So they were running those at like 3000 RPM. Mm-hmm. So speed it up yep. and it's going to make a much better, much better hole. Yeah. Now I have, and I have discovered with a sharp force in our bit, slower is generally better. Um, oh. I mean, with the, uh, I was going to say the exact opposite. Were you? See, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I did. Um, the last time I changed the speed on a drill press um, was for the outdoor kitchen. I did. I made a recess for the the charcoal bin, and I, I yeah. defined the hole, the the corners with like a, it was the biggest force in our bit I could find in our shop. It was like two and a half inches. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like I see that I, I sharpened it a little bit, put it in there, and I dialed that thing down to like 400, 500 RPM, and that sure. thing would just it just I mean it just hogged out the holes nice and clean. It was beautiful. So I can see it that way, but yeah. I was thinking like if it's probably probably like an inch and a quarter yeah. and less, yep. I'll buzz those at probably at least probably around fifteen hundred yeah, for sure RPM. Because yeah. I feel like then it's like Cookie Monster. There's just shaving spraying all over yep. the place instead of jamming up. And yeah. So here's the real question, though: Does anybody use standard twist bits if they hate themselves? If that, yeah. <laughs> if that's all I can find. <laughs> right. Like if you need an oddball size, probably. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. But then I usually just keep those in the stay dull drawer yes. in the, the drill press. Drawer. Yeah. Yep. So I was just, I was working on this, uh, watchmaker's cabinet and I, I used a, I used a standard twist bit for 
doing something on it. And I'm like, this is stupid. Why do we have a twist? <laughs> it's probably for, I mean, Chris was probably like drilling, you know, titanium with it or something, yeah. but no. Then the other one that I was thinking of is several of the band saws that we have around have a rip fence that has an option for tall pieces and then you can slide it off and rotate it 90 degrees for narrow pieces that are cut real close to the blade so you can have the blade guides lowered. And I know they try and make them as easy as possible to switch over. Stupid. They're just not. It just I end up leaving it in the tall setting. So I'm ripping, you know, like quarter inch wide, you know, three quarter inch wide strips yep. in quarter inch plywood. But in order to have the fence that close, the blade guides are like mm -hmm. I know. six inches off the... See, and I feel like I have ran into that issue more on the Rikon bandsaw on our set than I have on the Powermatic. Okay. Um, because the Rikon bandsaw, generally we have a, we have a, sh a narrower blade on. Yeah. So I think there, I feel like there's more opportunity there for blade deflection. Um, yeah. And while we're on bandsaws, don't ever freaking touch my bearings on that. Once it's set up, leave it alone. <laughs> don't feel like you're helping because you're not. Uh, but on the big Powermatic in the shop, that one, I'm okay getting that, that fence pretty close with the guides pretty high um, yeah. because it's a pretty stiff blade. Now, there's the safety issue with keeping the, the the a lot of the blade exposed, but I feel like that's a wider blade. That's probably an inch and a quarter blade or an inch blade at least. Um, I don't feel like you get as much deflection there. Um, right. The Rikon is the one I find myself flipping that fence occasionally. Um, and yeah. I, I like the style fence that Rikon has because it has a skew adjustment knob um, and some cams and stuff. I like the style, but it is very finicky. If, if it was in my shop, I'd just set it up and leave it. Mm -hmm. where we're right. always flipping it back and forth. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of our bandsaws, do you guys uh ever change the blade like the blade for width or you just go find one of our bandsaws that has the right blade width <laughs> in it? That's how I usually am. It's like, "Ah, uh, I need a little blade or a big blade." And in my right. shop, that's I usually do. how it is. Yeah, yeah, but around here, it's like I got to make one yeah, cut. I'm just right. going to I'm just going to go like, with it or I'm going to find one of the bandsaws yeah. that has the right blade and in it. I always know that the Laguna bandsaw in the shop has like a half tooth per inch blade on it. Mm -hmm. It's the wide curve bandsaw blade basically. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it has a ton but of that. It's a narrow blade though. Yeah, it's like right, yeah, it's too. like a, so it's like a quarter inch or a 3/16th yeah. blade with like a half tooth per inch. It, yeah. Exactly. And it has a pretty wide set on it, which actually makes it really nice for cutting curves. It doesn't leave a very smooth cut because it's such a coarse blade. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, in my shop, I have my blades hanging right on the wall next to it. And I will always adjust. I will always change a blade out depending on what I'm doing. Right. Um, I have a oh, resaw yeah. blade. I have a wider, like standard, just like three quarter inch blade. And then I also have a quarter inch blade. So I, I do in my shop. Mm-hmm. I do not. I have a half inch wood slicer on my bandsaw. Always. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I still only have the three eighths inch blade that my bandsaw came with and just rolling with it, you know? Yeah. Till I, I mean, need something else. Here's, here's my thought on that. Like if your saw is set up correctly, you should be able to cut as straight a line with a half inch blade or a three quarter inch blade as you can a quarter inch blade. Because the way the teeth work, 
the front tooth is creating a curve wide enough for the blade to slide through. So all you are doing is adding right. extra spine to the blade. Right. Now, yeah. I think resawing is a little different because you get a little bit of that deflection. Mm-hmm. But like if you're just like ripping parts the width, I think you do that with anything. Yeah. yeah. Or That's cutting fair. tight curves. Yes. Don't go with the yeah. three quarter inch blade. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you're Chris Finch. And see, I think it's <laughs> my uh my style of work just doesn't usually have super tight curves in it. Mm-hmm. So I'm the times where I need it to be just aren't there. And then I can kind of cheat it, you know, by making relief cuts and, mm-hmm. yeah. and then I'll just go to hand tools to refine it anyway, or a spindle sander or something like that. Yeah. What are you guys' thoughts on this completely off topic, but like, what are you guys' thoughts on those ceramic guides? Like the Laguna has versus like bearings. Um, I feel like our Laguna bandsaw in the shop is one of the earlier designs mm-hmm. on it, and I'm not sure how well it's been cared for, so I feel like I can't judge it. But the one, based on that experience, not a huge fan. Okay. But I know there's a lot of people that swear by those kind of guides without having either blocks or bearings on it or something. Yeah, yeah. like so. one of our one of our former editors, Bob Kemp, he loved those ceramic bearings. Oh yeah, yeah. I right. that's that's what my bandsaw mill has is ceramic bearings. Oh, okay. um, ceramic blade guides. Um, yeah. I, I so much prefer ball bearings. Now, mm-hmm. on the sawmill standpoint, the the bearing the ball bearing guides for a blade are extremely loud. Um, I mean, oh, yeah. I was cutting next to my buddy Bobby on his wood miser, which has bearings. His saw is twice as loud as mine, and it's all because of the bearings. Because that bearing's always contacting, so it's sitting there spinning. Yeah, um, but I just I feel like they're so much more finicky to adjust. Bandsaw bearings in general, bandsaw guides in general are finicky to adjust. Yeah, um, but I, I, I have a weird, <laughs> a weird thing about the ceramic guides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are those just supposed to last longer, or the ceramic ones, or? Uh, I think they're just they're supposed to be cooler. They're supposed to be easier on the blade. I think. Mm. Yeah. Um, I mean, in reality. If everything's running you, perfectly, the bearing, the guides, either a ball bearing or a ceramic, doesn't touch the blade ever until it needs to bump it back into adjustment. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so it's probably tomato, tomato. It's just I feel like the ceramics are a little harder to adjust. Yeah, and, I can see that. And especially when you get into like a narrow, like the blade on our Laguna here is very narrow. It's it's quarter inch probably. So you got like. Yeah. Quarter inch blade, you got like an eighth inch tooth and an eighth inch spine on it, so you mm-hmm. don't have a whole lot. And if you're trying to back out of a curve, it snaps out of the bearing grasp, yeah. you know. So I don't know. Just kind of one of those things I thought about. Special thanks to Epilogue Laser, sponsors of this episode of the Shop Notes podcast. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. I will say I do like the bandsaws that have the thrust bearing behind the blade where when the blade contacts that bearing, that the bearing is in that same line yes. as opposed to 90 degrees to it, which never really made sense to me. Yeah, where it's, yeah, I get what you're saying. Where you're, where it ends up, the blade ends up riding on the face of the 
bearing race mm-hmm. or whatever. That just doesn't seem feels like somebody misread the drawings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been thinking about, cause I, I would like to get a second set of ceramics just to have with the band mill stuff in case I'm out somewhere, catch something and breaks a, a guide or whatever. God, yep. they're so expensive. I think it's like 280 bucks for me to replace or to have an extra set on me. Oh, yikes. And, yeah, and I'm like, I can find the thrust bearings because those are just like half inch by half inch thrust bearings. They're like they're like standard bandsaw size. So I can buy <laughs> Delta ones or Laguna ones and oh, just put yeah, them on yeah. a bandsaw. But the top and bottom ones are like uh, seven eighth inch diameter cylinders by an inch long. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, God, they're so expensive and I can't find them anywhere. I'm like, I wonder if I could just find some like lignum vitae and make some lignum ones. You know what I mean? Like, you could just as a backup. Mm-hmm. Well, I had the that. I mean, it's a totally different scale, but I had that Craftsman 12 inch yeah. bandsaw, and the blocks that I because I bought it from a coworker, and I think the blocks were missing or cracked or something mm-hmm. like that. And they were a oddball size. I think they were like three eighths because it's Craftsman, so yep. they can't use standard sizing back then anyway. So I just ended up milling a couple of pieces of hard maple and use those as blocks, top and bottom. And then those, I had them not like pinching the blade, but against the blade. And I had heard people, you know, like that scores the blade or it scorches on the wood. Never had a problem with scorching or anything. Yeah. And they were, and they work just fine for all kinds of stuff. And I did resawing and a lot of curve cuts on that one. And mm-hmm. So, yeah, I would think Lignum Vitae would be would be perfect for that. Yeah, I mean, like, I could buy some, like, Argentinian Lignum Vitae. I could buy, I could buy a dowel that size, you know, and it's like... Right. You just have to... Well, or a down. turning blank, yeah. you know, like a pen blank of yeah. it. Yeah, it'd be perfect. So... Yeah. That, that would be your backup. That's what I would do. Yep, that's kind of what I'm thinking. But, you know, the other saw that I think in my shop, I've never adjusted and I never plan to adjust it. And it's bitten me here before is I never changed my jigsaw base from 90. Like, hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I know, yeah. I know people that will cut bevels with them or, right. you know, whatever. I, I know a lot of guys that do like resin casting will cut bevels for some relief to demold and stuff. It's like, mm, I've, I've had it happen here. Where it's like I was cutting something, I'm like, this does not look right. And I see the base is like tilted like 85 degrees. And I'm like, ah, who did it? And that's why. Who done it? No. <laughs> that's probably one tool that I feel like I'm just not connecting with is the a jigsaw. handheld jigsaw. Because mm-hmm. I cut bevels with it without even trying, and right. the base is set at 90. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like, how did I do that? How did I get the blade to do that? To, yep. to to bend like that. Well, I'll tell you. I will, I will tell you. It's, I had the same thing until a couple of years ago. I made those stupid dinosaur heads, and I did all those with the jigsaw. Oh, yeah, and so it was just like an afternoon of standing there jigsawing out dinosaur head parts. And I realized with a sharp blade, I went and bought a new pack of blades for the sure. Bosch jigsaw here. I bought a new pack of blades for it with a sharp, stout blade that thing will split a pencil line. I thought I was, oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of those, I'm not probably not going to make a finish. I mean, I'm never going to make a finished cut with it, but probably right. never going to do heavy shaping with it, but something like that, it was perfect. So, 
Yeah, and I'm sure that it has a lot to do with just practice and experience with yeah. it. But it feels like every time I try and do it, because like to make a curved cut or something like the top of it, I'm like, hey, I'm doing a pretty good job here. And then you look at the bottom Blades and all deflected like off of a half an inch or something like that. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, call it what it is. Generally, generally, I'm using it as like a roughing tool. So you rough out an opening and you come back with a flush trim bit or something. Right. You know. Yeah, but it feels like I should be able to go from like two hours of cleanup work to probably just a couple of minutes. Yeah. So have you done any sawmilling lately? I haven't heard you talk about it recently. I've been on vacation, John. No, I have not. Oh, that's true. Uh, that's true. I No, I have some stuff at my house to cut. Um, it's been, I mean, so cold, and you know, we just had a tornado rip through here, which I could drive right down the road and pick up a lot of trees right now. Right. I, I was eyeballing a couple nice oaks on my way into work this morning that were piled up against somebody's um, driveway. Um, but... No, I have not. Um, I need to. I've, I'm, I'm getting the itch. I got a couple of guys that have been asking me to. I have a couple of logs at my house for clients that I need to get cut at some point. It's just I don't like doing it in the snow. Yeah. You know, everything's slippery. Everything's wet. Everything's sloppy. I don't like moving yeah. the sawmill in winter because it gets covered in salt and sand. So. Um, oh, I can see that. Yeah. With the recent storms, did, were there trees down by you or yeah, more oh, yeah. branches? Full oh, trees? Yeah. No, they're full trees. There was a mm. bunch of trees that were completely uprooted, um, mm. which this was I, – I don't know. So anybody that uh, didn't hear, I would just had a, a big tornado go through. Um, it was uh, what, 70, about 70 miles. The tornado lasted for 70 miles, so it went through a lot of towns. Um, went about four or five hundred yards from my house, thankfully. Um, not a, not a branch out of place at my, you know, on my property. But four hundred yards down the road, there's trees and houses destroyed. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what those trees are like versus the derecho trees, where the derecho was a mm-hmm. lot of just like buffering winds that just kept going. Where the tornado was, it was fast. I mean, it moved at like fifty mm-hmm. some miles an hour. So yeah. it grabbed them and pulled them out. So I'd be, I'm going to be interested to see if we have any of the wind shake that we had with the derecho trees. Because like uh, Phil saw on that fur, sometimes you start oh, yeah. cutting some of that fur and all of a sudden there's cracks where there weren't cracks before. And that's the wind shake. So I don't know. Uh, there's a lot there. I <laughs> mean, there's, there's a lot of trees piled up. But I'm not really, I'm not going to go ask people if I could pull that tree out of their yard when they're missing half their house. Right. You know. Yeah, they have other things to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. So. But. So what are you working on then? Uh, what am I working on? Uh, yeah. So I just wrapped up the Watchmakers cabinet that I've been talking about for the last couple of episodes. Um, we just did finished photos on that yesterday. I am. It's one of those things. We, we always say it on the show. We say it kind of facetiously, like. Holy crap, it all worked out. Look what we put together. Like, how did this happen? Um, this watchmaker's cabinet, I kind of feel like I'm I'm very happy with how it turned out. Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of things I would have changed about it. Or there's a couple of things that I wish I would have paid a little more attention to. Um, but nothing, nothing super major design. I think proportions are exactly what they needed to be. I'm very happy with it. So, um I'd be interested to see what people think about it. I know I posted a couple pictures on the Unplugged Facebook group, and 
you know, got you got a lot of response. So it'd be cool. So I didn't really have a plan on like where I'm gonna put this thing. Like it's all it's all quarters on black walnut that I've had for a couple of years from my my place. And I'm like, God, this thing's pretty big. Like it would sit on my desk in my office maybe, but I kinda want it to hold my carving tools and stuff. So it needs to go in my shop. And I don't really have the counter space for it. And this weekend, like actually right before the tornado, I was working on a I have a little um cedar like hope chest that a family friend asked me to to fix up and i finally started doing it a year later and i'm standing it was sitting on top of this tool cabinet base that i started man this one we had the editor shop across the street so it's been three years probably maybe longer yeah probably i started building that and i i got the base cabinet done and i just stopped i didn't touch the drawers i didn't touch the uppers and looking at it i'm like holy crap this this cabinet is going to fit perfect on top of it so it's going to be you know maybe chest height um it's going to work out really nicely now that kind of gives me a little kick in the shorts to pick that project back up again and maybe make a few design changes which is going to be interesting trying to make some design changes after the carcass is already done then probably sure. be some appliques and stuff but i think it'll be cool so nice yeah I'm that'll just, be fun yeah i'm happy to have the the watchmaker's cabinet done um so next issue is going to be a more simple project to be a nice little um to be like a shaker side table but dylan just did that so i'm not gonna tr- i'm trying not to call it shaker side table i'm gonna do like a shaker plant stand which is what it's gonna be so okay yeah so that'd be cool so you're trying to do one project per issue then for pop uh, no i would like to do zero projects per <laughs> issue but uh i would yes i would like to do one project per issue um, just the time associated with that is the hard part. Yeah. Um, trying to do that plus our filming plus working with other people doing you know digital content stuff like that is that's the hard part. So yeah. something small like the shaker side table, I could probably shoot that on photos in two days. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. And then you got uh, the shop starting pretty soon, right? Yeah. Um, that was before the tornadoes hit. So I had a local guy, I have a local guy, Austin, um, lined up to, to build the shop, um, which is, he's just gonna, he's gonna build the shell, the pole barn. I mean, 16 foot sidewalls. I don't want to mess with that. Um, I had him lined up, but I'm expecting and rightfully so that he will jump on helping some of the people that, I mean, there's, you know, I think within two miles of us, there's like 300 houses that were aren't damaged yeah they're they're not inhabitable currently yeah so um i'm guessing he'll probably jump on those so i would really like to get a start on it early or you know mid to late spring um if not early summer um but i would like to be in there full time by fall so yeah yeah which is kind of, i mean it's and it's kind of fun i'm, I'm gonna plan a little bit of magazine content around some of that because people always like to see the setting up shop type thing and right i think it's something everybody always dreams about you know building their own standalone shop and you know i was talking to our building supervisor this morning about you know i've always planned on putting a shop up at this place even before i worked here i mean i always was going to put a shop up um yeah so I had preemptively done some things in the house for, you know, shared heating systems and stuff like that. Um, so I think people always like to kind of think about, you know, what would I do? What 
what would I think about and like to kind of hear about it and kind of daydream about it. So it'd be kind of fun to go through and kind of let people see what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and say, why are you doing that dummy? <laughs> so because it only fuels you. Yes. It fuels the, yes. So yeah, but no, it'll be, it'll be fun. It'll be, it'll be an interesting process. So John, do you have any workshop dreams now that we've gone through our first false spring? Right. I'm not fooled by that. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not out in the garage yet. You know, I'm waiting. I'll wait. Yeah. I know it's going to be May before we get our last snow. So, yeah. But no, I haven't done much in my uh, shop yet at home. I'm trying to get through spring break here. And then if it's still warm after that, I might start digging through the piles that I've left when we moved in. But still seems like it's down the road on that but so but you were yeah. talking about uh small projects for pop wood i kind of have that coming up for woodsmith i volunteered for next issue uh doing picture frames and a mason bee house because it's like oh, i'll jump okay. on the small projects those will be easy but then you start getting into it, it's like okay this is a small project but how do i make it more than a two-page article like how do I right zhuzh yeah. this up? How do I church it up, you know, enough to fill out some pages <laughs> without making it super weird? So that's the that's always the challenge, I guess, on the small projects is adding enough detail to to make it new and cool, but not yeah. overdoing it. So yeah, that's yeah. and that's the problem I have with some of the pop wood stuff, and that's that's one of the big fundamental differences for people that get pop wood and woodsmith. They'll see the difference. Woodsmith does a lot of art. It's a lot of illustrations, a lot of dimensions. Mm -hmm. You can kind of see how the entire project's put together. Where pop wood, we do a lot of photos. Um, so I always think, oh yeah, I can you know eight pages. How am I ever going to fill that out? And then I get done with the project. I'm like, I got eighty nine photos. I got to pick which which steps I show and which steps I let people kind of you know, make up for themselves mm -hmm. as they're reading. Right. Um, so something like, you know, you said, you know, the picture frames, psh, I could do, I could do a dozen photos on that without right. an issue. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's like, eh, when you start squeezing that into artwork, it's like, yeah, that, it gets pretty small pretty quick. Yeah. So, so do you have Mason bees all ready for props? Yeah. I'm lined I'm up for catching the photo them. Shoot? Yep. Okay. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I have them on order. They'll show <laughs> okay. up in the warehouse. <laughs> Yeah. Box is buzzing away. <laughs> People do that, you know that, right? Like yeah. you order yeah, nukes. You can, yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yep. That's funny. I don't know if you'd order Mason Bees though. <laughs> I'm sure you can. Uh, it feels like it. You just get them while they're dormant, so they're in their tubes that's, already. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Did your bees come out at all when it was warm last oh, week? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I have. Uh, I have one hive at my house still that my uh, my buddy Vu. Uh, is kind of managing um, and both him and I were like we're talking about it uh, I kind of he lost all of his highs last year so I was like you know what man why don't you just take these I to be honest with you I don't have a ton of time and this would take a little bit of burden off of me having to go in and check them and make sure I'm doing the responsible thing make sure they're gonna get through the winter I was like why don't you take them replace your hives you lost you're welcome to keep them here but why don't you you know you manage them they're yours now um, and he said, cool, I'm going to leave this small box here, uh, a, a small hive, 
because they weren't terribly strong. The hive wasn't, the colony wasn't terribly strong in the fall or in the summer when we yeah. were doing all this. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like, yeah, there's no way. Like, they're going to be dead. We're kind of sacrificing them to the apiary gods here. And um, it was it was before I went to Mexico. There was a warm day, and I just I walked over. I was working on getting trees down because the shop's going to go right next to where the bees are. And I'm like, I'm going to crack that lid and see what's in there. Because if it's empty, I'm just going to pull it down and, you know, get everything out of there. And they were buzzing away. They were in there on their frames of honey. I'm like, there's only two boxes, and they're sh- they're, uh, they're shallows. So they're like, there's not, a, there's not a lot, but there's bees in there, and they are sure, uh, they're sure happy. Once, I think once, what, we're on first... First fall spring, once fourth fall spring is gone and stuff actually starts flowing, <laughs> then I think they're going to be really buzzing. So cool, yeah. Tornadoes actually took out a bunch of hives. Um, there was a, a call on the uh, Des Moines Beekeepers page, Beekeepers Viable page, um, to go down to Winterset. There's a couple of big flower farms down there, I guess, that yep. got hit pretty good. Um, and I guess a lot of beekeepers had their their hives down at the at the the farms. Um, helps you know it's kind of a symbiotic uh, relationship there between the bees and the the farm, but I guess I guess the the hives were just strung all over. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're trying, and if you know anything about bees, you can't put two queens together because one queen's going down, and the queens yeah. are kind of the you know yeah. generally you have your bees with their queen, and you don't mix and match, you don't mix with another queen because they'll kill her and I, I don't even want to know how that started and you so, definitely can't wow. bet on it no that's illegal be yes. fighting <laughs> yes put little tiny spurs on them <laughs> no <Can't>. don't <laughs> there it is can't wait for the comments on that <laughs> yeah well this is my last podcast so yep <laughs> been fun guys <laughs> uh, Phil what do you have going on I know you got some projects going on uh, I have several <laughs> yes, I do. went for, through a part not that long ago where I felt like I was in a little bit of a lull or uh, doldrums and now all of a sudden I feel like I got like six or seven things going on But so I have the hand plane which I don't know why I think I talked about it last podcast or the podcast before that I had wanted to do that and I'm not I'm still not entirely sure how I got myself into that one. But it was the compelling Popwood article that did it. Probably, yes. yeah. Well, it's based on that Cecil Pierce plane yep. that you have yep. that I've always admired. And I think it's probably the simplicity yeah. of a wood-bodied hand plane and the lightweight. And for just what I wanted to use it for, just kind of general planing tasks rather than being a highly dialed in smoothing plane or mm-hmm. whatever. So, so I have that, uh, I have a shrink box at home that I'm working on from the maple, from the tree that came down in our yard and finishing up. I kind of wrapped up a couple of them with those little boxes and mm-hmm. a couple of video projects that I have going on I have a video project on a toolbox tool tote that we did mm-hmm. have that one going. And I feel like I finally found my way on where my mortising jig is going to go. Okay. So I'm going to 
launch into that a little bit more probably after spring break just to get that project kind of wrapped up because I have kind of a little hoarded stash of Baltic birch plywood and hardboard runners and all that kind of stuff and I want to get that cleaned up and yeah we'll see you always you always know Phil's stash when it's like plywood parts just stacked in a pile it's like you know it's a mouse when it's like fluffy stuff the plywood's mm-hmm. yeah. That's his nest. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. edge glued. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's all edge glued to make bigger panels. <laughs> I will say that this stuff is not edge glued. So okay. on yet. this particular version, oh. I have not yet resorted to that. So, But it's one of those things where it's like, I know I'm going to use a bunch of, I need a bunch of little blocks and supports mm-hmm. and yeah. stops and stuff like that. So I don't need big sheets. So right. it's perfect for all those little pieces that just kind of get used up. Or yeah. thrown away or whatever. So yeah, yeah. If you don't hoard that stuff right away, Chris will throw it in the garbage, and then <laughs> you got to cut it. And then the it's gone sheets. forever. Yep, yep. You got to save them. Uh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, that's fine. so. Anyway, that's a few of the things that I have going on. I do. I have been. I think probably because of our chat with Brent Hall last week, uh, I've been kind of inspired to make a bookcase to hold all my woodworking books. And and I've mentioned it a few years ago about because I have the original or a full set of the printed versions of shop notes. So all hundred and what was it, thirty six, thirty eight uh, issues, and that's meaningful to me. So I wanted to find something that I could put those in. So I thought if I made a bookcase that collected some of those books and put them together, it's not going to be a huge thing, but yeah. just a home nice looking home for it so what i was hoping you were gonna go for was you were inspired by him to do something with like the huge moldings and some pilasters on it and stuff that's where i was hoping you were going no <laughs> no I, I i mean i've seen if you've seen some of his videos or his youtube channel he'll do a lot of stuff from his own home yeah. library which has at least one wall just all decked out sure. in bookcases, floor to ceiling yep. built in bookcases. And that's probably where I'm inspired. And his isn't, at least what I see on the videos, isn't super ornate. Yeah. But it's very traditionally inspired. And I think, I don't know that I will go built in on it, mm-hmm. but something that has a has a nice although classic look to it. You did drop that word yesterday when you were looking at some plywood in the uh, photo studio. You said, boy, if there was more than one of those, I'd bring that home for some built-ins in the basement. Built-ins? Yeah, see, and that's the problem of doing that episode for the TV show uh-huh. on built-ins because I don't know what when it was. I think it was last summer I had a kind of a – I think it was when we were planning out this season and we were talking about built-ins. And I was going around my house like I would love to – because we have a 50s ranch – And right inside the front door is just some dumb single door closet Mm -hmm. that is barely accessible and we put way too much stuff in it. And and I saw in an old pattern book a version where instead of just having like an interior door, it was like three doors. And then instead of going all the way to the floor was up on a pedestal a little bit kind of, or you could put drawers underneath it. Mm -hmm. And then like each door would be its own compartment. And then you could get full access to the whole thing instead of like a center door. And you have to kind of scramble around on the inside of it. And 
So there was like that one. I thought of doing built-ins underneath our stairs going into the basement where we store, you know, like all the luggage and camping Mm -hmm. supplies and stuff like that. Because right now there's shelves under there from a previous owner, but it just... Looks and I get it. It's a basement. It's not a big deal. But I'm a woodworker, so I'm constantly thinking of places to yeah. make this better. Um, Say, I was maybe, just I was amazed when you uttered that word because I hadn't heard you talk about built-ins before, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Phil's gonna do some built-ins in his basement. He's gonna hate himself. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to. And I had even thought about doing. This is how far it went. Like I, it was, it was a very virulent disease. Cause I had even sketched out in my little shop notebook about doing like a, in our basement storage room in the one corner, doing like a corner cabinet style, Mm -hmm. like an old school corner cabinet, but framing the interior with like foil faced, um, insulation with the bare block wall on either side. So that I was essential, essentially creating like a old school fruit cellar cabinet for like not cold storage, but cool storage for stuff. It would, it would totally not fly past the design committee at home, but <laughs> sometimes the best woodworking is the woodworking you do in your head. <laughs> yeah. all, all my best woodworking is yeah. the woodworking I do in my head. Uh so yeah, so it was that and redoing my closet in our bedroom and we have like a hallway closet, you know, that you put like all the extra drugs and yep. toilet paper rolls yep. and all that kind of stuff. And again, it's just an interior door and I thought it would be cool to have, you know, like upper glass doors and replace, you know, put drawers in at yep. the bottom and maybe like a little counter surface. and. Yeah. Just dress it up. You know, if it was John saying this, I would say you'd be getting ready to move. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's when you get everything done. It's yeah. It's going to be for someone else. Yeah. Nothing. There's yeah. no work like working against the wall. That's yeah. right. So anyway, there you go. I think that wraps up another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Uh, Just a reminder, you can catch our show on the YouTubes as well as your local small batch seasonal podcastery. Don't forget to leave a rating and review there. It'll help us to get the Shop Notes podcast in front of more people. Uh, special thanks to Epilogue Laser, sponsors of this episode of the Shop Notes podcast. You can quickly and easily customize your woodworking projects for added beauty and value. Learn more at epiloguelaser.com. If you have questions, comments, or smart remarks, I want to hear about them. Leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel or send us an email, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. We'll see you next week, everybody. Bye.